that I'm winning by a lot. 93.3 and AM 560. That's why I listen. KWTO. This is the Elijah Har Show. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at 933KWTO and stream us on the 933 mobile app. Welcome back to KWTO. One hour down, one hour to go. The Missouri Supreme Court declined to take up Jay Ashcroft's appeal of the ballot summary language. Joining us now on the show. Jesus Osete, super lawyer out of Jefferson City. Welcome back to the show. Mr. Speaker, good afternoon, and thank you so much uh, for having me on uh, again on your show. No problem at all. Hey, listen, the, the, we, we've talked about this. You, you posted about this last night on X, said you're going to write a law review article on the subject. But before we jump into the legal background, let's do question today. Question of the day to day, single best Thanksgiving memory. Oh, wow. Um, you know, I think that, you know, we had our first child back in September of 2020. This is during the pandemic and everything. Uh, and I just remember, uh, you know, she was a little itty bitty thing at that point, you know, about three months or so. Uh, and just, you know, getting to spend that Thanksgiving, you know, at, at that point as a family, you know, my wife and I had been married the, the year before, but to have our daughter, for her first Thanksgiving, uh, we were at my in-laws' house. I think that that time, and despite the circumstances, we were just incredibly grateful to have her there and get to finally spend the Thanksgiving as a family um, and just get to cherish those kind of moments. And um, you know, it's it's definitely one thing that I always look forward to now that we have uh, kiddos. Uh, but that first one is something I'll uh, I'll never forget. Absolutely. Okay. As we discussed and, and given a little background on this. The the Secretary of State, Jay Ashcroft, issued his 100-word ballot summary for some of the potential abortion referendums that are going to be on the ballot next year. A variety of interest groups, the ACLU, Planned Parenthood, didn't necessarily like his language. They filed suit against the Secretary of State. There was a trial court judge that basically found a position somewhere between the Secretary of State and the uh, uh, language that, that the backers of the referendums wanted, and the secretary appealed to the Court of Appeals and then to the state Supreme Court. That sort of brings us to what happened this week. Catch us up what happened this week at the Supreme Court, and then your theories behind that. Yeah, so um, I think uh, you, you've stated everything up until now incredibly accurately and aptly, um, so I commend you for that. Um, but the uh, essentially the, the, the case finally came to final resolution this week when the Missouri Supreme Court denied what's called a transfer. Now, for your listeners who aren't familiar with the ins and outs of the Missouri Supreme Court and what it does, the Missouri Supreme Court um, has exclusive jurisdiction over certain kinds of cases. So death penalty cases, the construction of the revenue code um, and challenges to statutes, constitutional challenges to statutes. I, ne- I never understood why the, the founders of our constitution, the framers had put, you know, uh, taxes and death in the same category of jurisdiction, but you know, it is what it is. But b- besides that um, the court has what's called discretionary appellate jurisdiction. It can, it can review other cases that come up. And in, in this case, you know, we didn't have a constitutional challenge per se to what Secretary Ashcroft had certified. Instead, we had these groups that you mentioned essentially challenge the wording of the ballot summary that voters are going to see it on, on polling on, on election day. 
And, um, and so that had to go through the trial court that had to go to the court of appeals. Uh, and they changed the language, you know, a fair bit. Uh, so then the secretary had asked the Supreme court to take review of the case, um, last week and this week on Monday or Tuesday, I forget exactly when it happened. They refused to get involved in the case. And so what that means is the, um, court of appeals opinion certifying the language for the ballot is what voters are going to see on election day. And um, essentially it's game over at this point once the Supreme Court denies a transfer. Um, and that, that's the practical effect. So on the ground, folks are going to see the language and, you know, your, your listeners can go to the Court of Appeals website and look at the opinion. I think they certified the ballot language at the, at the last page of the opinion. That's what they're going to see in, in the uh, on Election Day in the voting booth um, as to whether or not they want to amend their constitution to, you know, do all the kinds of things that this, these six initiative petitions are are going to do, assuming that the, and we'll get into that too, but assuming that the proponents of these measures uh, can collect enough signatures by by May. Uh, and then at that point, you know, the secretary then has to certify uh, additionally over the summer, whether or not there's enough signatures to be on the ballot in the first place. But the actual language itself will be what the Court of Appeals certified in this case, and the Supreme Court is now sanctioned by denying transfer this week. So a couple questions. Um, one, just because I can't remember, there's you know there's been a lot of discussion lately about there's two different groups of people that are talking about abortion referendums. One wants to do a full full repeal and abortion free on demand, and then one wants to do sort of a a mid level review. I think that it's a guy who's already said he's out there collecting petitions. Were were all of these different referendums? Was the summaries on all of them? at issue or was it only some of them? No, I, I think, I, I think the, um, the summaries that were at issue in this case were about six of them. And I, I, I think it's a physician out of St. Louis and, and I'll, I'll admit to you, I, in terms of the, you know, the ins and outs of what the summaries actually say or what the uh, proposed amendments say, you know, you'll have to find somebody more um, um, better suited for that. But uh, no, my understanding is this: these were only six um, from a physician in St. Louis who was being represented, I think, by the ACLU. Uh, I, I believe the the proponent or the other measure that you're talking about, the 12 weeks, I think that was uh, submitted by Jamie Corley, who's been in the news here recently. I, I think, I th- and my understanding is, you know, she's a Republican or Republican operative. I forget exactly what, what her title is, but I think she has also sued the secretary in a, in a different lawsuit because she also took umbrage with the language that he certified for her amendment, which supposedly is different from the, from the current one. Uh, I understand the secretary thinks they're all the same, um, but they are different lawsuits or different tracks of lawsuits. But no, this, this is the one that w- were the six that were filed, I think, even before the secretary had even certified language, which is really what, you know, what really led to my sort of um, interest at least from the Supreme Court uh, denying transfer. And what, what I had tweeted about yesterday, and I think what caught your attention is, um, you know, it, exactly when the suit was actually filed, which everybody will probably remember was like late May, I think May 27th of, of this year. And, you know, we can get into the weeds here a little bit, but when the Supreme Court denied transfer on Tuesday or whatever it was, uh, it was only about 48 hours um, before uh, a statutory 180-day deadline where every person who challenges, every proponent to a uh, ballot measure challenges the language that's certified by the Secretary of State has to essentially finally and, and fully adjudicate that case, that suit, within 180 days. And we can talk a little bit about that. But that deadline was actually tomorrow, November 23rd. And 
if such cases aren't resolved in 180 days, the uh, statute uh, says that the um, that the action uh, that's not fully and finally adjudicated within those 180 days shall be extinguished. <laughs> which, is, which is what what kind of led led me to go down this rabbit hole of you know I, I'm not even sure what that means, but I have a couple of theories and you know we can explore them. But well, that's yeah, what, because that's what actually led my interest here. Yeah. So so if I understand you right, essentially from the day they challenge a secretary. <clears throat> That case has to be decided 180 days from that day, correct? Correct. And And so if you look at, it says it has to be extinguished. If, for instance, the Supreme Court said, yes, we're going to take it up, and so the case is still live, does this extinguished mean their suit is dismissed? Does extinguished mean last decision stands? What's that distinguished mean? Well, so that, see, this is the thing I wanted to explore because there's a couple plausible theories behind this, but, you know, the, the closest example that I can think of, there was a case back in 2022. It was, it's, uh, it's called Hummel versus Ashcroft. It was brought by Jake Hummel, I think on behalf of the unions. There was a um, proposed initiative petition amendment uh, to the Constitution to codify uh, right to work um, in the Constitution. It was brought, uh, you know, back in 21 or whatever. And, the secretary had, you know, certified the summary statement. I think it said, you know, you want to amend the constitution to provide that every employee should have the freedom to work without being forced to pay uh, union dues to keep a job or something. Well, Jake Hummel and the group thought that was prejudicial and, un- and unfair or whatever. And so they sued in Cole County. I think judge green um, agreed with them and found that the language was, was prejudicial certified different language. The secretary rightfully so uh, appeals, but I think before he appeals, the ruling came, you know, within 180 days, you know, after the suit had been filed. And so there was this question at, on the, at the Court of Appeals about, wait a minute, you know, if, if it's been 180 days, does all this go away? Well, it, in theory, yes. But the reason they didn't decide that question is because by the time the suit was pending in the Court of Appeals, the May deadline that I was just talking to your listeners about uh, to submit signatures had already passed. And so in, in law, that means the case became what's called moot. And so there's no life controversy anymore. And because that was the case, they went ahead and dismissed the appeal, but told judge green, Hey, you have to vacate your judgment and dismiss this lawsuit without prejudice so that everybody gets back to starting the starting point. But that means that the secretary's language was, you know, legally um, upheld, or at least that was the last thing that, that stood, so to speak, um, because the suit itself was dismissed. The case went away. And so all you have left is the secretary's uh, summary statement but you have a deadline that's passed and nobody can collect signatures after that. So what does that mean? But in this case, it's, it's a little more tricky because we have two courts that have now said that the language should be changed. And in fact, they changed the language. And so to your hypothetical, if they would have taken transfer and under the statute, they can extend those 180 days for good cause and good cause is defined to mean, you know, court related scheduling issues, you know, not, not party related scheduling issues, but it's a very narrow extension, but absent an extension, if the hundred days expires, I mean, theoretically, yeah, um, they have to dismiss because they're without jurisdiction, without authority to provide any relief whatsoever. And I think if you want to analogize it to what just happened in that Hummel versus Ashcroft case, what they would have done in that case, I think, is one plausible theory is to say, hey, look, um, we're going to dismiss this appeal. We're going to vacate, you know, the Court of Appeals opinion, and we're going to send this back to Judge Beatham to vacate his judgment and then dismiss the lawsuit without prejudice, which then means that Jay Ashcroft's language ends up being the language that they have to use to circulate signatures because the deadline itself hasn't passed in this case. So that I think is one plausible theory 
about what shall be extinguished means, which is just to wipe everything off the books, no matter if it's already happened. Now, maybe some people take issue with that, but I, I just, I failed to find a different analog for what shall be extinguished means, and the legislature didn't define it. Um, but to me, that seems like the most natural reading of that statute, but it's something I intend to explore here pretty soon. And I'm just giving you guys a little bit of a preview right now of what, of what that looks like. Now, why should voters care about this? The reason voters care is that every referendum that goes on the ballot has tens, if not hundreds of pages that they're going to change. And so, for instance, <laughs> last year in the, um, when we legalized marijuana in the state, I think we added dozens of pages to the constitution most voters only read the hundred word summary that is listed on their ballot. You can go and you can read everything, but most only read the hundred word summary. Well, when the secretary files a summary and people don't like that, they, they start quibbling over this. And so his initial summary, I think summary of the abortion language, I think said would allow dangerous, unregulated abortion on demand. Obviously the summary is the most important portion of trying to pass a ballot initiative or referendum. Um, and we saw that with what I would consider a uh, clean Missouri part two, the, the summary language on that, on a, on a statewide ballot initiative that nobody thought was going to pass read very well. It had what, what they call ba- ballot candy in it. And so that passed primarily because people liked what they read in the summary. I think if the reason this is so interesting is that if, for instance, judge beat and then eventually the court of appeals, summary had 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 disappeared you would have seen a much higher hill to climb for the abortion proponents because of ashcroft's language i think that's right and and, and to your question as to why voters should care you, know, you you and i as lawyers can go back and forth about the legal niceties and how interesting we can nerd out about the language and which and we can look at the dictionary and you know make arguments back and forth but yeah the practical effect of it is um, if, if the theory is accepted that every single judgment, because keep, keep in mind that in until an appellate court issues what's called a mandate, you know, it's the sort of the it's the it's the significant jurisdictional event in the case. You know, even if a trial court issues a judgment that says you have to do something, if somebody appeals that the court's judgment itself does not become final. And this is what the statute says, finally and fully adjudicated. It doesn't meet that criteria until the mandate is issued, but the mandate isn't issued until the Supreme Court denies transfer. Usually it's about a day or two. And I think it's interesting that the mandate in this case was issued yesterday. I have to think to some extent they were thinking about this deadline because if they weren't thinking about it, it would have set up a really uncharted situation where, you know, I don't know, on the one hand, the attorney general's office could have said, or the secretary could have said in court, hey, I'm going to dismiss this proceeding because you no longer have jurisdiction and you got to vacate everything and just certify my language. Or on the other hand, um, if, if, uh, if they go ahead and <laughs> issue an opinion and, and go on with the case, you know, what is stopping someone like a secretary Ashcroft from saying, Hey, look, um, the voters are going to see this certified language because the court issued a ruling without jurisdiction. I mean, you can think of all these different scenarios, but from a practical standpoint, if you accept the theory that every single thing that happened in the case has been extinguished, then the uh, natural consequence is to go back to what Secretary Ashcroft um, certified. And if that's the case, you're absolutely right. It, it does make it a more, much more uphill battle, especially now with a shorter period of time, to pass that kind of amendment. So we, we were 48 hours away from addressing some very interesting legal issues that I'm not so sure we're going to see again, because as you know, these are pretty expedited proceedings. The statute says you got to place these cases on the top of the docket. 
you got to put everything else aside. But here it was kind of unconventional because we also had, you know, this fight between the auditor and the attorney general that, again, slowed things down and slowed down the certification process for, what, it's 56 days or whatever. But the ACLU, in any event, filed that lawsuit in, in, uh, in late May and it started the clock running. And I don't know if anybody was paying attention to this, but it would have been really interesting to address some of these issues. And maybe we will down the road, but maybe not. Well, and the interesting part about this, and I don't know if you've read, there's been some discussion over the past two weeks that the groups who want to put a referendum on the ballot, they're having some internal battles over what that language will look like. And you mentioned this this Curley proposal that is more of a mid-leg. I, th- I think it says for the first 12 weeks, abortion shall be legal. They've got their own lawsuit going. That lawsuit currently working its way through the courts, can they even collect signatures? I know Jamie Curley had said she was going to, but can they collect signatures while they don't know what the summary looks like? Oh, boy. You know, it's, I, I don't, I've not looked at this in a long time, so please take it with a grain of salt, like, take it with a salt shaker. Um, but I, I thought that the law was, or at least that the position that folks who do this kind of work have taken is that, um, you can you can go out and collect signatures even with the litigation pending, but it is a risky proposition because if the language does end up changing, you know, it's kind of like a you know futile effort. And I'm I'm a little unclear as to what the status is of whatever it is collected. If you know if later those votes are invalidated, I just think from a practical standpoint, it makes more sense to. And I think this is what the statute and the legislature was trying to get at through the statute and this 180 day deadline. Hey, look, you know, the deadline's in May to collect signatures. If, you're, if there's going to be litigation about the ballot uh, title, uh, go ahead and get it resolved quickly so that practically people can know what what language voters are going to see at the voting booth on Election Day and that everybody can agree to that uh, and then circulate signatures and not take the risk that, you know, maybe signatures get invalidated or it was completely futile. And you spend I mean, a lot of money goes into this stuff. And we can on a different podcast, we can talk about, you know, all the kinds of proposed reforms that were you know, made it out of the House, but, you know, never got to the Senate last year about, you know, paying circulators and whatnot and whether those are constitutional. That's a that's a different story for another day. But I think um, it's a huge practical uh, concern if you are circulating language that may not end up being the language that voters see. Um, but again, um, I, I don't I, I'm not sure that legally there's anything that prevents them from doing so. I think it's more of a prudential consideration. But also keep in mind that, you know, folks can bring these ballot title challenges on the front end, you know, before they collect signatures. But, you know, right now in the Supreme Court, there's a case with the mayor of Kansas City where he's challenging the constitutionality of the um, uh, amendment that that raised the police funding in Kansas City because he was saying that the fiscal note was not accurate for that. But he brought that after the fact, after the actual um, amendment was, was passed, you know, quite overwhelmingly in Kansas City. So you can always bring these ballot title challenges after the election was, was certified as well. But again, it becomes a much higher hurdle because then you're asking a court to basically throw out an election. Yes, for legal reasons that may be meritorious, but, you know, you're still in doing an election by the people. And, you know, that's a question of perception that people have to take into account. So nothing, nothing legally speaking is from what I can think of. But um, I think prudentially, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to collect signatures when you don't even know what the language looks like. Uh, final question. We're, we're running low on time, but final question. I know we've stuck pretty heavily in the legal weeds, but a lot of people want to know, okay, let's say hypothetically, you've got one abortion referendum that says all abortions presumptively legal, you know, all the way through. And then another that says abortions are just protected the first 12 weeks, whatever. 
Let's say you have both of those on the ballot. And let's say both of them pass. What's the law? <laughs> Boy, that, that is, uh, I'm not sure I can give you a short answer for that one, but let me just put it this way. Um, it's a, uh, it's a very complicated, um, answer, not one that I can recall, um, in recent history that we've had, um, you know, in, in, you know, when people, when people have different conflicting laws, the, uh, the rule of thumb is to you know, let the more specific constitutional provision trump over the more general one. Um, I, I think it's going to be a complicated question. I think at the end of the day, we have to look to the constitution's text and structure and history to see how we can resolve that answer and potentially even precedent that maybe not, may not be from recent history, but maybe there's some guidance, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is, um, again, we're, we're, we're getting into a lot of different uncharted, you know, territories with these abortion referenda. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if this is just an additional item on that list uh, that we're going to have to figure out. Um, but at the very least, we know that uh, some, something's being circulated, something's going to go to the secretary in May. And then the question is, you know, do they have the signature seat put on the ballot, uh, which will be its own round of litigation as well. Um, but I think we're just going to have to answer that uh, when the time comes, uh, if it comes. Yeah, I think that'll be really interesting to see when or if either or any of these initiatives get the signatures, as you mentioned, a whole nother round of, of legal wrangling will take place. And as you know, um, it's, it's, that's a, usually a extraordinarily complicated timeline for those challenges to be adjudicated. Yes, that, that is absolutely right. And I think, and maybe it was a while back that you and I were on the show and I had said, Elijah, well, there's this litigation about the auditor versus the attorney general, but then there's going to be litigation about the ballot. There's going to be litigation about the fiscal note. There's going to be litigation about, you know, whether or not they have enough signatures. And then there's going to be litigation potentially like the mayor in Kansas city, like uh, Quinn Lucas, um, that whether or not it should be overturned for, for legal reasons as well. Um, so yeah, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, the lawyers, uh, especially the election law lawyers are, uh, are having fun with all this. So, uh, we'll see what else, we'll, we'll see what else comes up. Jesus, if anybody wants to follow along with the work that you do um, in in your life as an attorney, how do they follow you on social media? Uh, I'm at, I don't know if you, you called it X. I don't know. I, I still call it Twitter, but um, <laughs> it's at at Jesus um, underscore Osete. O is an Oscar. S and Sam. E is an elephant. T is in Tom. E is an elephant. Uh, so follow me on there. I don't tweet as much these days because uh, uh, I'm keeping busy, but. Uh, uh, any anytime I do have a stream of, of thoughts that is worth uh, somebody picking up, like you yesterday, um, they can they can find it on there. Very good. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll uh, check in with you from time to time as this litigation commences. Hey, thank you, my friend, and happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. That was Jesus Osete. He's with Brian Cave out of Jefferson City. We went long. We'll be right back. Don't forget the snake draft coming up at five thirty-seven. We're picking our favorite rivalries in history. We'll be right back.